Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. The scripture reading will be from 2 Peter 3, 9, um, and I have the New King James Version. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. May God bless the reading of his word. Crushed it. Thank you. Tom, thanks for announcements. Crushed it as well. Uh, we're back in Jonah. I want to welcome you back. We've had a couple weeks uh, off, so just to re-gear your brains where we're at. Uh, Jonah, really crummy prophet, uh, didn't do what God wanted, so God had a big storm. He got swallowed by a fish. He kind of said sorry-ish, and then God let that fish spit him out, and then he went to a really, really wicked nation and told them to repent, and they actually did in big, big ways. And that's where we're at in our story. That's your recap. Um, you couldn't push skip like you can on Netflix, so thanks for listening. Um, but let's, oh, before we start, I need to find my sermon. It was up here at one time. Anybody seen about seven pages worth of papers? All right. I blame this guy. I was thinking God multiplied my pages. Oh, man. Lord, you would have had to give me the words if we didn't find that. All right. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, how grateful we are that you have given us this family to journey through the joys and the hardships of life with. Lord, to be honest and vulnerable when need be, to honor each other always. Lord, we thank you for a growing family. Lord, thank you that we are not um, followers of you who, who draw inward, but Lord, that we have reached out to our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, invited them into this fellowship, into resurrection life with you. And Jesus, ultimately, we're thankful for you that you've provided for us a resurrection life through your suffering, through your death, and through your resurrection. Jesus, as we approach your word together today, would you speak to me and through me by the power of your Holy Spirit? And would you be with each of my brothers and sisters here, that you would speak to each of them and then through each of them this week as they go out into this community to shine your light and to be your salt. Jesus, would you be with those who are joining with us online today who aren't with us in person but who are with us in spirit. We also ask that you would minister to those who aren't with us uh, today. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Steve was only four years old when his dad, Nate, went on a very dangerous mission. His dad, Nate, grew up flying planes. He became a pilot himself. And as a young man, he found himself in Mexico in the 1940s fixing airplanes with a buddy when he heard about a native tribe in Ecuador who were so violent that anthropologists tell us that they were on their way to extincting themselves through all of their revenge killings of neighboring tribes. 
This group of people known as the Alcas were so violent that any outsider who ever went into their territory would be speared to death and never to come back. And there's been no successful attempts to make contact with this tribe. So after hearing about these people, Nate grew a heart of compassion for them. He grew a desire to share the gospel with them so that they wouldn't extinct themselves to a Christless eternity. And he and four other missionaries, the most famous of which being Jim Elliott, if you're familiar with the story, began strategizing, planning, learning the language, building a missionary base deep in the jungle of Ecuador near the Alca territory. And these men, they, they strategize how they might make peaceful contact with them. And if you've seen the movie, End of the Spear, which I recommend you watch, they were all pilots and they had this great idea that they would fly around uh, one of the Alca villages. Uh, imagine this iPhone charger right here is, is an airplane. And they would fly around their village and they would lower a, a bucket on a string. And as they flew around, that bucket would stay still and they would lower gifts to the Alcas that way. And the Alcas would receive it, and they, they started to enjoy those gifts. And after a while of doing this, the Alcas then put a gift in return in the basket, and the missionaries hoisted it up. And the missionaries thought that that was their invitation to go and make peaceful contact with this violent people group. So after a few days, uh, the, the five missionaries uh, said goodbye to their families, said, see you later, I hope. And they flew deep into Alca territory. They landed on a sandbar in the river, and they waited for the Alcas to make contact. A couple days later, a, a couple women and a, a man from the Alca tribe did come to that sandbar, and they came in peace, and the missionaries and them were able to share a meal together. The missionaries were so excited, they radioed back to their, their families, hey, we made contact, we're still alive, we think the Lord's going to let us share the gospel. They continued to wait on that sandbar. A couple of days later, the Alcas returned. Only this time, they came as a warrior party of six men, including one man named Minkaye, and the warrior party speared to death all five missionaries, with Minkaye being the one to spear to death Nate Saint, Steve's dad. So far in Jonah, we've taken a deep look at the personal call of God in our own lives for repentance. We've seen that, that when you've blown it, just own it and confess your sins. Be quick to confess your sins and be quick to surrender to God's plan of relentless grace in your life before God surrenders you to his plan of relentless grace. And the last time we looked at, at Jonah, we saw that for those who don't repent, God's judgment is coming upon them. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, Jonah preached to them. But we also saw that God is patient with his judgment. Not only did he wait those 40 days to judge Nineveh, he had been waiting for 1,400 years for this nation to repent. But we would be amiss if we looked at Jonah only through the lens of God's desire for our own repentance. Because while God does love you, there's a lot of yous in this room and there's a lot of yous that God loves around the world. And so as we look at the book of Jonah, we see the heart of God not only for us and his desire for us to repent, but for the whole world to come to repentance and receive the compassion and the grace of Christ. So today we're going to look at the mission of God for the whole world, and we're going to ask the question, how can you be on mission with Jesus? 
which is the first little blank in your uh, sermon outline today. If you didn't get one there by the doors, you can grab one or PDF online. But how can you be on mission with Jesus? Well, first you have to understand what his mission is. And one thing we know about God, God does everything out of his nature. Everything he, he does and expresses is an overflow of his character. And we see that truth in Proverbs chapter 4. And the book of Jonah reveals to us the heart of God. And we see it as expressed to Jonah and the Ninevites. So to remind us of, of who Jonah is, the Ninevites, and kind of the, the cultural climate that's going on, uh, the nation of Israel is the nation that prides itself at being God's chosen people. And currently, when Jonah is a prophet, Israel is in a time of expansion. Politically, economically, they're doing great. They're ruled by this really wicked king, Jeroboam II, if you know much about him. But Jeroboam II also is very good politically and economically for the country. And we see that record in 2 Kings chapter 14. I'll just read it to you. It says, Jeroboam II restored the border of Israel from the entrance of Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. In verse 28, he fought and he recovered for Israel, Damascus, and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah. Jeroboam had restored the lands of Israel that had belonged to Israel in the time of King Solomon 200 years ago, but they kept getting smaller and smaller. And here we have this, this nation that is experiencing this tremendous nationalistic pride, and Jonah is a prophet to that nation being called to go to another nation and share God's message with them. But Jonah doesn't want to go. So why? We ask the question, why didn't he want to go? Was it because he was so prideful? Israel's the best. I don't want to share this blessing of God. Was it because he was afraid of the wicked nation of, 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 of Nineveh? It would be like the Taliban. That's about equivalent of today. Well, we see why Jonah didn't want to go. As we pick up our story in Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, which is where we left off a couple weeks ago. So you can go ahead and go there. Jonah is just to the right of Psalms. It's before Matthew. It's just a little book. Uh, it only takes up this much of my Bible. Uh, page 756. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. This is right after Jonah has preached to Nineveh, and Nineveh has repented. And this is what happens. Verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he did not do it, but it, the repentance of Nineveh, God not destroying the city, it did not, or it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Jonah knew this would happen. He knew that Nineveh would repent and that God would not destroy them. Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Jonah ran from his mission not because of fear, but because he knew the heart of God and he knows how God's mission ends. And he didn't want to be a part of it. The Hebrew word that, that Jonah uses to describe who God is, is, is the word co compassion. And in Hebrew, uh, it is this word on the screen. It's rahum. And this word is only used to describe God's nature. It's not used to describe 
his actions or, or you or me or anybody. It's only used to describe the nature of God. And we get this idea of a tender affection, one who cherishes someone. Like January 4th of this year, my baby, my baby boy, Nakoa, was born. And holding him for the first time, I look at him and I just have this deep affection for Nakoa. And that is God's heart of compassion, even for wicked nations like Nineveh. And we have no better example than how God spared this nation. But Jonah is angry about it. And so what does God do? God calls him out. You ever been called out? God calls out Jonah. That would not be a fun moment. Look at Jonah chapter 4, verse 4. The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry, Jonah? He goes on with his rebuke in verse 11. God says, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? The great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. God had lived out his compassion on the Ninevites, and he spared them from their destruction because he cherishes them. He really, really adores the wicked Ninevites. And the Hebrew word in this verse, verse 11, that is, is used in English as compassion, is not the same Hebrew word as the character of God in the earlier verse, this word of compassion is the Hebrew word hus. And it means to spare or to cover. Like when I'm walking with Nicoa down to the beach and it starts raining and I lean over so I'm covering him from the rain that's coming down. And that's what God did with Nineveh. His compassionate expression of his compassionate nature was to cover them and to spare them. But this isn't a scriptural oddity. God isn't only compassionate to this one wicked nation. We see this time and time again in Scripture. And we see it again most vividly when God made himself incarnational and he took on flesh and dwelt among us as the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, like Jonah, also went to a wicked city, the city of Jerusalem. And he, like Jonah, preached to that city. And he had the same desire for Jerusalem as he had on Nineveh. Just moments before his death, he was, he was marching on his way to go to the city of his death. And he looks over Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23. I'll read it, what he says in verse 37. Jesus says this over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together, the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, how he covers the chicks, but you are unwilling. We get the same idea of a compassionate covering that, God, that Jesus desired to do for Jerusalem that God did for Nineveh, but Jerusalem was not willing. And as we all know, Jesus' experience in preaching to Jerusalem was a little bit different than Jonah's experience in preaching to Nineveh. The Ninevites repented a wonderful revival, the largest revival we have in recorded history. Jesus did not receive the same amazing results with hundreds, thousands of people coming to him. And Jonah lived to tell about it, and Jesus went off to the cross. And so we go back to our question of the day. How can you be on mission with Jesus? Don't be like Jonah. He's a really bad example. Be like Jesus and align your heart to his, which is our first truth of today's passage. Align your heart to Jesus 
to be on mission with him. And Jesus' heart is a heart of compassion. What about you? Do you have compassion on your neighbor who's rude to you? Do you have compassion on your coworker who ignores you or your friend who badmouthed you on Instagram last week? Because God has compassion for that individual. But aligning your heart to Jesus, if you're anything like me, honestly, it's kind of hard. Because in our own flesh, in, in our identity of the flesh, we are out of alignment with God. And Jonah is a great example of that. His heart was so out of alignment with God that he was angry. He was so angry he wanted to die in response to God's heart. Check out Jonah chapter 4, verse 3. Jonah is complaining to God about how angry he is. And he says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. He would rather die than align his heart to God. And that's not surprising because the natural thing for you and I and Jonah to do in the identity of our flesh is to be misaligned from God's heart. And in postmodernism, this culture that you and I breathe, our, our postmodern culture tells us that left on our own devices, we would basically do good things for ourselves and for others. But that's the exact opposite of the testimony of Scripture. Many of you are leading our kids in Awanas, and, and they are learning verses like Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And from the moment of conception, you and I are born with a natural bent to sin, to be out of alignment to Jesus' heart. Romans 5, verse 12. And everything in our culture misaligns your heart from God's heart. And we see our culture telling you and me to have compassion on ourselves. Buy that iPhone. It's kind of ironic. The first letter is I. Upgrade your iCloud. Have it your way. You be you as long as it makes you happy. You deserve it. Put yourself first. Be true to yourself. How many Disney movies that we all grew up with sing that message to us and it gets stuck in our head. You be you. Be true to yourself. But this is the voice saying be true to your fleshly identity to not be in alignment with God. And in our flesh, our natural response is to do that, to be like Jonah and to run from God. And Jesus confirms this when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It's right after uh, the famous John 3, 16 verse, and we can, we can go there now. A lot of times, I guess, uh, when I'm preaching, I tell you verses to highlight, mostly because I want your Bibles to have the same highlights as mine, which is kind of fun. John chapter 3, verse 20 it's one of those verses. So if you've got your highlighters, you got your markers, highlight this one. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, he confirms this. He says, For everyone who does evil hates the light. And he who hates evil does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And in our passage, Jonah's deeds are exposed. Light has shown on his wickedness, and instead of Jonah coming into alignment with God's heart, he gets angry, and he would rather die and avoid the light of God. But what do you do when someone calls you on your sin? When you're rude to your spouse or your kid, or when you're lazy about getting your homework done, when you have one too many drinks 
on a Friday night and someone calls you on it, do you say, oh, thank you so much for shining light into my darkness. Let me realign my heart to God. Please pray for me. Or are you like me and you're like, no, 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 this is, this is why I was rude. This is my justification. You were rude to me. This is why I was lazy. This is why I didn't get that assignment done. And we try to avoid the light. I can imagine that some of you have friends that don't go to church anymore. Maybe some of you have friends that don't go to this church and they avoid the fellowship of the saints. Why? Well, there's many reasons not to come to church, but our, our passage and our, our scripture here reveals that one of those reasons why somebody wouldn't want to come into the fellowship of the saints is to avoid the light of God and letting their dark deeds be exposed. Book of Matthew says that you are the light of the world. And when somebody comes in to this fellowship with deeds of darkness they're hiding, that darkness would be exposed by the light. Therefore, let me hide from this fellowship. Let me avoid coming to church. But when you walk in his light, when you don't hide yourself or hide your failures from this body, from the light of the world, your heart becomes aligned to Jesus and your most natural thing for you to do, living out the identity of God in your life, is to be on mission with him. So having seen that you are on mission with Jesus when you align your heart to his, what will you face on this mission? What will you face on this mission? You can go back a few pages, book of Matthew. Jesus lets you know what you're going to face being on mission with Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. The cross was the mission of Jesus. And that cross was filled with suffering. Jesus had to endure risk and ultimately death. But aren't you glad that he did? In his famous sermon in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter declared that Jesus was not crucified because Judas betrayed him. Jesus was not crucified because Herod convicted him. Jesus was not crucified because false witnesses accused him. He was not crucified because the Jews condemned him or even because the Roman soldiers nailed him to the cross. The only reason Jesus was crucified was because it was the plan of God and Jesus had aligned his heart to his Father. Peter declares in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, says, this man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. It was God's plan that Jesus would go on a dangerous mission and that he would have his life taken. But unlike Jonah, Jesus willingly went to this hostile nation. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 11, in 18, Jesus says to his apostles, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one has taken my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. This commandment I received from my father. 
And by the way, Jesus being on mission and taking this risk was pleasing to the Father. We see that in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. It says, The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. And Jesus invites you to join him on mission, but he gives you a warning in Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, that says, A disciple is not above his teacher. If Jesus faced risk, if he faced suffering, if he faced death, you may as well. My friends and I, we've been uh, reading through Revelation. We, we read one chapter a day, and then Saturday mornings we get together, we talk about it. It's one of those early morning men thing that we do. And this last couple of weeks, we read another scary verse. And I guess that's my theme of the summer is scary verses with Pastor Pete. And we found another really scary one. It's in Revelation chapter 6. So if, if you have a special color for scary verses, maybe red or something, I don't know. Revelation chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Uh, this is during the time of the tribulation, the seven-year period, where God is pouring his wrath out on the earth for those who haven't repented. It's out of God's compassion that he's saying, hey, look, this is what hell on earth looks like. Why don't you repent before you have hell for all eternity? And during that time, there are some martyrs under the altar of God. Martyrs who had been killed for their faith, similar to how Nate Saint, Jim Elliott were martyrs in Ecuador for their faith. And these martyrs, in Revelation chapter 6, they cry out and they say this. They say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer. And here's the scary part. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Last time we looked at Jonah, we saw how God is patient to allow the wicked time to repent. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being patient with the wicked. We also see that because God is patient with the wicked, the opposite is also true, that God is patient in allowing more righteous men and women to suffer and even come to martyrdom. And God is patient in allowing our suffering. Now, I don't want to suffer. And I'll be honest, so far in 36 years of being a Christian, I don't think I've really suffered for being a Christian. But the testimony of Scripture is that if you are on mission with Jesus, you will face trial, suffering, there will be risk, and some may even face death. Because being on mission is risky. Those of you that are in the military, you probably know that a little bit better than those of us civilians. Uh, a number of years ago, I was working on the ambulances in Kaneohe. Um, I don't know if it was the same shift that we were on, but I was coming in for the night shift, and I got the changeover report from the day crew, and they had told me about their call, that they had gone to Kaneohe Bay because one of the, the marine helicopters had crashed into the bay on a training flight. Being on mission is risky. Even training for a mission is risky. And the way that you and I train for our mission with Jesus is by doing what we are doing right now. Joining together in fellowship and in feasting and in worship and prayer and scripture and Bible study and accountability. But even coming here has risks. 
So for those of you who live on base, if you drive from the front gate to church and back, you do that once a week for three years, the time that you're here, you have a .0018 chance of being killed in a car accident. Hope that helps you sleep tonight. I looked up the statistic on average over the last 20 years. There's uh, five people who get shot and killed in a Sunday service in America. Ups your risk. To go anywhere, grocery store, school, church, you face the risk of COVID, flu, pneumonia, tuberculosis. When I was on the ambulances, my mission was to save people. But that was risky, and I got tuberculosis. I had to take the medicine. Being on mission is risky, and training for that mission is risky. But Jesus went on that mission, and he took the risk for you. And aren't you glad that he did? How can you be on mission with Jesus? Take the risk. Take the risk. It's the second truth from today's passage. You know, it is risky for our ministry partners who we heard from last week to do the work that they do. But they do it. It was risky for many of you from our church to go year after year to Uganda, to Mexico, to Cambodia and share the gospel. But you went. It's risky to give 10% of your income to the Lord during a worldwide financial crisis. But many of you do it. It's risky to invite your neighbors, your coworkers into your home. It's risky to go share a meal with a homeless individual. But many of you do it. And even though Jonah is a really bad example of being on mission with God, he still showed up for the mission. He shared God's message and 120,000 eternities were saved. The greatest revival of all time. About 70 years ago, we had another great revival. Just two years after Minkaye and the other Alka warriors who had killed the missionaries in Ecuador, um, Nate Saint's sister, Rachel, and Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, went to live with the tribe. And the, they had made contact, and, and the Alkas wanted to hear the message that the missionaries had wanted to bring them. They invited these women into their tribe. They lived amongst them. And many of the Alcas were wonderfully saved, gave up their violent ways, and the Alca tribe is not facing extinction anymore. It got to be such a safe tribe that Rachel invited her nephew, Steve, who was the son of the late Nate Saint, to come and spend his summers in the Alca tribe. And he started doing so from the age of 10 on. Well, last year... The man who killed Steve's dad, Minkaya, he passed away. And Steve was the one who wrote the obituary for him. And I'd like to read to you the obituary that Steve wrote about the man who killed his father. Steve writes, Minkaya was born into a violent Stone Age culture in South America and died on April 28, 2020, at home in the tiny village of Sapino of Natural Causes. He was between 88 and 91 years of age. Minkaya is survived by his wife, Ompore, 13 children, 50-some grandchildren, many, many great-grandchildren, and tens and thousands of people who saw him as proof of God's redeeming and transforming power. When grandfather Minkaye, as we affectionately knew him, helped five other Wyodani warriors spear my father, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Roger Udarian, and Ed McCauley to death, 
on a river sandbar in 1956, there was no reason to believe anyone outside of his small clan and the five bereaved families would ever take note of that incident. Nevertheless, millions of people in North America and Europe followed radio news releases that five missionaries were missing in the Ecuadorian jungle. The term tragedy accompanied virtually every radio, newspaper, and magazine article as the news of these vicious and seeming, seemingly senseless killings spread. But 64 long years later, it seems clear that Genesis 50:20 was about to come true again. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. There has been no greater ambassador of the message than the life of Grandfather Minkaye. Minkaye is also the main character in the feature film, End of the Spear, and he traveled around the United States and Canada telling his life story. This amazing jungle warrior who counted only up to 20 on his fingers and toes personally impacted hundreds of thousands of people in, audience, in audiences as large as 45,000. The movie, in which his life plays the leading role, has now been translated into mother tongues of approximately one quarter of the world's population. Minkaye's most frequent speaking theme was we lived angry, hating and killing for no reason, until they brought us God's markings. Now those of us who walk God's trail live happily and in peace. Then he would often ask, how long did you have God's markings before you brought them to us? Maybe if we had known sooner that the Creator did not see it good that people should live angry, hating, and killing for no reason, we could have walked God's trail sooner. I was Minkaya's traveling companion on all ten of his speaking tours to the U.S. and Canada, trips to Europe, Panama, and even India. We traveled together, ate together, shared the same room, and spoke together. I have known Minkaya since I was a little boy when he took me under his wing and had his sons teach me to blowgun hunt. He was one of my dearest friends in the world. Yes, he killed my father, but he loved me and my family. One of my grandsons is named Minkaya. We will miss you, Grandpa Makaye, but we hold on to the certain hope that we will see you again, John 3.16, signed Steve Saint. As we close, I leave you with a question. Will you follow the example of Steve Saint, of Jesus Christ? Will you align your heart to God's? Will you take the risk, and will you be on mission with Jesus? Let's pray. If you're here and you have never received the compassion of God, his covering in your life, would you cry out to God? Would you say something like this? Say, Lord Jesus, have compassion on me. Forgive me for the ways that I've done wrong. Would you give me your eternal life? And Lord, for the rest of us, we ask that we would not hide in darkness, that we would continue to join the fellowship of the saints, that we would let your light shine on our hearts, even on our dark deeds, and that we would let our hearts be aligned to you. Lord, we thank you for your example of taking the risk to save us. Lord, would you also let us join you in taking the risk to share your love with others. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.